Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. As we jump in, our topic for the next three weeks is the call, meaning when God calls us, how do we respond? And as we jump into that, I want to ask you a question. What is the silliest excuse you've ever made? The silliest excuse you've ever made. Think about like a time when you were asked to do something, you had a responsibility. Maybe it was at work, your supervisor, or, or maybe it was your mom when you were a kid, or your dad when you were a kid, or maybe it's just a friend and you wanted to get out of doing this thing. What was the silliest excuse you've ever made? When somebody calls you to some sort of action or a chore or a responsibility, what's the silliest excuse you've ever made? Okay, I'll give you an example from my childhood. My mom asked me to do the dishes, to take on the chore of doing the dishes. Very fair, very responsible. If you're a child in this room, that's appropriate. And don't do what Pastor Paul did, okay? Because I had to get out of that. I didn't want to do the dishes. I didn't want that responsibility. So I had to come up with an excuse. So this is my legitimate excuse to my mom. Now, I believe it's a good excuse. It just wasn't good enough. It didn't work. And that's what happens sometimes with our excuses. It's like there's a grain of truth in it, but in reality, it's not truly adequate to get us out of that responsibility. So my mom asked me, Paul, I want you to take on the chore of doing the dishes. I said, oh, mom, you know, that's unfortunate because um, I have poor circulation in my feet. <laughs> yeah, it tells you what kind of child I was, right? I said, Mom, you know, I have poor circulation in my feet, so standing in one place for a long period of time is just very uncomfortable. So I hate to say this, but I, I won't be able to acquiesce to your request. Um, maybe we can reconvene and come up with a different strategy, right? <laughs> and then I also used this, uh, tr uh, this excuse. I said, you know what, Mom, the dish, dish soap that we have, it just, when I use it, my hand, it just, they react, and it gets red and, and irritated and... Yeah, so I thought they were good excuses. Now, the, the truth of the matter is, like, those are actually true statements. They're actually, I do have actually poor circulation in my feet, so standing in one spot for a long period of time is uncomfortable. That's why I move around all the time. Okay, and, and yes, it was actually true that the dish soap that my mom bought actually did react to my very sensitive skin. 
okay? And these, look at these hands. These hands are for writing sermons, you know, not for doing dishes. <laughs> and so they're, they're good excuses. And maybe you're like, no, they're not. They're not even close. Okay, I would agree it's not a good enough excuse because all I really had to do was do the dishes more often throughout the day, right? Simple strategy, simple adjustment there. Just do the dishes more often. That way you're not standing in front of the sink for long periods of time. If you let it build up over days, Paul, of course you're going to be there for a while. And unfortunately, my mom bought new soap. Ugh, right? And so I didn't react again. Now, we, we laugh at these things, but we make some pretty silly excuses at times when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to our relationship with God. And they may be good excuses, but I think we really examine them, we really thought about them. They're not good enough excuses. Now, maybe your excuse to not jump into a deeper relationship with God or not, not pursue the questions of does God exist and can I know him, right? Those things, maybe your excuses aren't like dish soap and poor circulation, but, and maybe they're good excuses. Maybe they're wrapped up in family or friends or your career or whatever. We make a lot of excuses and sometimes good excuses, but when it comes to the topic of God, when it comes to relating to God or exploring the idea of who God is, those excuses just aren't good enough. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your most important relationship you have is your relationship with the Lord, is your relationship with God. And so when you look at your goals and you look at what you want 2023 to look like, God should be at the top of the list. You should prioritize your relationship with him. And not let good excuses get in the way because they're not good enough when it comes to your relationship with God. Now, maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Right? Maybe you would say, you know, Paul, I'm just curious about Christianity. I'm, I'm more of an explorer right now. That's what I'm doing. That's great. But it's so easy to get distracted. When life's most important questions are, is God real? And if he is, can I know him? And it's so easy in our life to let good things distract us. And so what I hope you hear today from the lips of Jesus is this, and this is our big idea for this morning. So if you write down one thing, I want you to write this down. You take away one thing, I want you to take this away. Eternity is worth your time. Eternity is worth your time. God is worth your time. You have to fit him into your schedule. Because, because your relationship with God has eternal consequences, so therefore, easily, it should have your utmost attention. So wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, here's what I hope doesn't get in the way. I hope good excuses don't get in the way of you going deeper with God, right? Maybe you've heard that phrase that, that good is the enemy of great. I think that's so true when it comes to our relationship with God, whether we're exploring the things of God or we're, we're committed to a, a lifelong walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Either way, we let good things get in the way, and when God calls us to a deeper relationship, sometimes we make excuses, and those excuses just aren't good enough. Let me show you this. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at a dinner party, and he's going to talk about the call. He's going to talk about God calling us to a deep relationship with himself. And in this story that Jesus tells at this dinner party, he's going to show how we make excuses. And those excuses just aren't good enough. And they sound like good excuses, but they're just not good enough because God is worth our time. 
Eternity is worth our time. Let me show you this. Luke chapter 14. Let's set the scene and start with verse 12. Jesus has been invited to a party, and here's what happens. Verse 12 of Luke chapter 14 says this, and he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. At least they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And when one of those reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is at a dinner party. And as he's at this dinner party, he's describing to the host how they should have hosted the dinner party. Only Jesus. So Jesus comes in and it says, hey man, I think you did this thing all wrong. Because you're inviting people so they'll repay you. You're, you're inviting people as kind of a means to some social end. That you really don't love them and care about them, but you love what they can do for you. And Jesus says, that's not how you should invite people. You should love people because they have the image of God on them. Because God loves them. They're an end in themselves. Just love them. And, and, and open the doors to people. He says the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. You should invite them on your list to bring everybody in to enjoy what you have for them. Make sure you're not inviting people just to use them. That's what he says. And then Jesus brings this idea to the resurrection of the just, he says. And that, that describes this kind of future day when God will make all things right. There's a day when God will reward the righteous and he will punish the, the wicked. He will kind of vindicate those who've been uh, abused by the wicked. There's a day of kind of reckoning and a day of vindication at the very end. The kind of throne room judgment and the reward in a sense. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And as Jesus kind of forecasts to the future, some guy sitting at the table. Now, I imagine he has a drink in his hand for some reason. I don't know. Because he just blurts out this phrase. Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. Like, who invited him? Right? This is loud outburst. And he just says, whatever is on his mind. And Jesus picks up on this phrase. It's like, he, it's like he's talking to the host. And then this guy says this phrase. Blessed is he. Right? Or everyone who enjoys bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus kind of zooms in on that and says, let's talk about that. Because it, it appears that this man is assuming that he's going to be at God's party. That the end time banquet, God makes everything right. And it's described as a party, as a really big banquet. This man assumes he's going to be there. So Jesus takes opportunity to give a very shocking and very sobering principle through story. And that principle is this. Not everybody who's called is going to come. In fact, you may think that you're going to come. That when God calls, that you're going to accept the invitation. But you may find what you actually do is make an excuse. You let something good get in the way of something great. And even though you appear to be religious, even though you're having this banquet with all these wonderful people, and you talk about spiritual things, when God truly calls, you may be surprised that you don't respond, but what you give is an excuse. I'm sorry, I can't make it. I've got other things to do. A good excuse, that's not good enough. 
I don't have time for you, God. I don't have time for eternity. I don't have time for these things. I got these other things. Look how Jesus describes this story. Verse 16. But he said to him, and I think he's saying to the man who just made that kind of outburst, not the host anymore, but now everybody, of course, is hearing. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, we need a little bit of context here. Notice how he's calling out to those who have already been invited. This is very important for us to understand. Because for us, dinner parties are a little different now, right? Think of this as like a two-stage invitation. This is how it was very much practiced in first century Palestine. You would give out the first invitation, which kind of like for us is like an RSVP, right? You give it out, and then hopefully that person responds so you know how much food to prepare and all those different things. Well, in first century Palestine, they didn't have watches, right? So what would happen is you kind of send out the first invitation, They would respond, yes, we'll be there. On that day, we'll be there. Great. Now wait for us to give you the second call. Because preparing the feast took time. So it wasn't like, okay, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. It was just, wait this day. The servant will come and give you the second invitation. So this second invitation goes out. The servant goes out to say to those who had already been invited. That means not only were they invited, but they responded, yes, I'm coming. Because you only get the second invitation if you've responded yes to the first invitation. Now that's important for us to remember because what happens next is very shocking to the first century world. Because these people have already said, yes, I'll be there, check, I'll bring three guests, we all want chicken. Right? That's what they're doing. They send in their RSVP, they've made their kind of meal arrangements, we're going to be there with this many people, here's what we would like to eat. So now it's just like, hey, dinner's ready. That's what's going on. It's kind of like ringing the bell. Everybody come in. It's time for food. That's what's being given out. So everybody hearing the story of Jesus would assume these guests are going to come. Because they've already said yes. They've already committed to it. Shockingly, that's not what happens. We get a list of excuses. And they sound good. But they're not good enough. Look at how these dinner guests respond to the host and to the servant who's giving out the second invitation. I'm in verse 17. Sorry, verse 18. Come, everything is now ready, verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I have to go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've been married. I've married a wife and therefore cannot come. I bought a field. I bought oxen. These are all excuses you've used, right? right sorry, I can't make it. I just bought an ox. <laughs> right? Oh, I just got married. Oh, I can't make it. Now, they, they kind of sound, they kind of sound good. Right, first glance, first exposure, okay, they've made significant financial investments, so they want to make sure those investments are good investments. They just got married, that's a big deal. And there might be some good ground here, especially in Jewish thinking. Because if we go all the way back to the teachings of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 20, look at this, very similar excuses are given to men when it's wartime. 
When they're about to go to battle and they're calling up the troops, right? When they've got to kind of get all their military kind of strength mustered to fight certain enemies, there are excuses that people can use that are good excuses. There are great excuses that exempt them from military obligation. Look at this, Deuteronomy chapter 20, and think of the excuses given. I bought a field, I bought some ox, I just got married. Because those kind of excuses... They may be grounded right here. This is Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 5. Then the officer shall speak to the people, saying, Is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. And is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to the house, lest he die in battle and another man enjoy its fruits. Verse 7. And is there any man who is betrothed a wife and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man take it. We see something very similar later in the book of Deuteronomy. Do you see the exemptions here? Moses is saying, okay, so you got a field, you planted the stuff. If if you haven't seen it grow yet, you don't have to go to war. Because what if you die and you don't get to see it? Maybe you built a house, but you haven't got to enjoy it. You know what? You don't have to go to war. Enjoy the house. Enjoy your time. Maybe you just got married. You just got married. You're newlyweds. You love each other. You've you've waited for this moment. It's romantic. It's wonderful. We don't want to take you away and go off into battle. Later in Deuteronomy chapter 24, it says that a young man who is married has a whole year to enjoy that wedding, to enjoy that marriage before he is called to war, before he has that kind of obligation over him. So the excuses in Luke chapter 14, maybe they're grounded in Deuteronomy chapter 20. They sound good, but really they're not good enough. Why are they not good enough? There's one glaring difference between war and a party. Pending death, right? Going to a dinner party does not make you liable to death. And that's like a murder mystery party. Right? There's no hurry here. There's no sense of danger here. Oh, I would go to the party, but I don't want to die. What kind of party is this? Like, clearly, these exemptions for wartime are different. They're different because when you're going to war, you're putting yourself at liability. Hey, you, you might die. And if you die, you won't get to enjoy these things. So this dinner party is not that serious. So these excuses don't fit. They don't work. And even then, they seem a little silly. Go back to Luke chapter 14. It doesn't match with kind of the wartime idea. And also, if you think about it, they sound really silly. Who buys a piece of land before inspecting it? It'd be like your friend going up to you and be like, oh man, I just bought this really new Tesla. Da-da-da-da. I'm so excited. It's great. I can't wait. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, we had to take out a third and second and fourth and fifth mortgage to buy it. But we're so excited about it. I can't wait to go test drive it. Wait. I'm sorry, you bought it and you haven't test drove it. Yeah. (sighs) You're the kind of people who ruin the economy, right? You don't buy the car and then go test drive it. You test drive it and then you buy it. So why would this person buy a field if they've never inspected it? Why would you buy five oxen? And that without inspecting them. 
that wouldn't make sense. Especially, that's a significant amount in the first century world. A normal farmer would have about one or two ox. So five ox mean this person is incredibly wealthy. That's a lot of liability to take on. You're telling me you would make that large purchase without doing any investigation as if these animals are actually going to be able to perform the task before them? And plus, there's no hurry to this. The land's going to be there when the party is over. The oxen are going to be there when the party is over. The wife is going to be there when the party is over. There's no hurry. There's no rush. It's just silly, and it's not wartime. These excuses are not good enough. And on top of that, they're incredibly shameful to the host. These guests have already said, yes, we'll come. They've responded to the first invitation. And now that he's calling them, come, come, I made this wonderful banquet. These guests, they don't show up. And these guests are high profile guests. These guys have high social status. You can tell one is just purchased land. That would put them in probably the top end of the social strata in first century Palestine. Another guest just bought five oxen. Again, probably double or triple the amount of of ox that a normal farmer, average farmer would have. These are very affluent people. To get snubbed by these guys would be incredibly shameful to the host. People would see it on this person's Twitter feed and Instagram. Wow, look at all the people who didn't come to the red carpet event. Nobody's coming. So how is the, how is the host going to respond? What is he, he going to do? This is when he does the unexpected. He invited those who were expected to come, and they didn't come. Then he invites those who nobody expected would come, or nobody expected would even be invited. He invites them, and they come. Look at this. The servant reports back to the host. There's a big problem here. Nobody's coming. They're all making excuses, silly excuses, somewhat good excuses, but not good enough excuses. They're talking about dish soap reacting to their skin. They're talking about poor circulation. This isn't good enough. Look at verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and he said to the servant, go quickly to the streets and the lanes and the cities and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Interesting list, isn't it? That's exactly who Jesus said the host should have invited at the party that he's currently attending. Invite the unexpected, invite the outcast. And this host is different. Right? There's this part of Jesus' story that his hearers would find easy orientation with. Like, yeah, that makes sense. That, that makes sense that a party goes like this. That makes sense that the invitations go out like this. And then there are parts of Jesus' story that are disorienting. Like, wait, 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 that doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right that these social elites wouldn't come to this social gathering invited by this host, that they wouldn't want to increase their status in the village. It's weird and their excuses don't make sense. It's not wartime. It's silly. This is shameful. Why would they do that? Why do these people who we would expect to come not come and shame the host? And then why does the host call these guys? You could tell Jesus probably has a very captivating audience at the dinner party he's currently at. Because he is breaking so many customs when it comes to dinner parties and how he describes the story going out. But the story goes even further. Beyond this group, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, the host does not have a full room yet, and he wants a full room. Look at verse 23. 
And the master said to the servant, or sorry, verse 22. And the servant said, sir, I've done what you commanded has been done and still there's more room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Go out to the highways and the hedges. Now, what is he saying there? This is where the criminals would be. This is where the the social outcasts would be. The poor, the lame, the blind, those are probably the beggars near the city gates or in the streets. These are those that are even outside that idea. Ultimate outsiders. And the host says, you guys come in. Imagine seeing like a red carpet event on television. And as you're watching it and you're waiting to see, okay, who's going to be uh, the best dress and all that stuff, you're expecting all these wonderful garments or all these wonderful clothes to be made by all these celebrities, and they just start rolling out these people that look like they just came out of jail. And you're like, this is weird. This is not red carpet, right? This is a lineup. Like, where are the number with the little box underneath them? That's what Jesus is describing here. And I think there's a word that's very interesting he uses. If you look back at verse 23, the master says, compel people to come in. Now, we don't want to read that and think what's being said there is um, a sense of force. Like the master is forcing these people to come in. Like maybe they still have their jumpsuit on and they're in chains and they're walking right, to community service to go to the banquet or something. No, that's not, the, that's not what's being described here because the host didn't, didn't force the original invitees to come in. He's not enforcing them. Here's what he's doing. He's convincing them, I want you to be here because that's what it would take. In this first century world, in first century Palestine, that's what it would take for these guys to think, wait, we don't get invites. We don't get invitations. Why do you want us there? There's suspicion. Why? I'm not good enough to go to the banquet hall. It's funny, this is one of the parts of the story that I I just felt so compelled that that this is is kind of what I do. This is kind of what we do as pastors. Sometimes one of the hardest jobs is to convince people, not of the existence of God, but that God loves you. It's not that, you know, trying to convince you that he's real, but convince you that he really loves you and he really cares about you and he wants you at the banquet. And I don't know if that's because there's so many father wounds and mother wounds and parent wounds or, or whatever it is. We just have kind of this baggage that we take on that we're not loved, we're not cared about, we're just an afterthought, we're just an accident and maybe we've been told that, maybe we've been brushed aside by people who said they were gonna love us. I don't know what it is. But I feel like as a pastor, so many times, my job is just to convince people, God does really love you, and he wants you to come to the party. He wants to invite you in, and maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you feel like God's just disinterested in you. He doesn't care about you. This world is too complex for it not to be designed by somebody, but you feel that sense of, yeah, okay, the complexity shows me that there's a designer but I don't know if he cares about me. Let me tell you, as meticulous as he was in creating everything that we see, he gave his thoughtful intention to you, to you. Intricately wove you together, Psalms 39 says. He loves you, he cares about you, and he invites you in, come to the party. And sometimes you have to be compelled to see that God truly loves you. 
come into the party. Don't make the excuse, I'm not worthy, he doesn't know me, I have too much shame, I have too much guilt, that won't work. That excuse is not good enough. Now Jesus ends his story here, again in another kind of shocking turn, a disorientation to his audience. They're already in shock that the outsiders get in. That those expected to come, don't come. And those who nobody would expect to be invited are coming. Well, Jesus puts a cherry on top of all of that disorientation with the last verse, verse 24. For I tell you, and as I read this, I think what's happening here is this is not the host. I don't think Jesus is in the story anymore because the pronouns change. And so I think what's actually happening here is Jesus is saying the statement at the party to the guests. I don't think this is the host anymore. I think Jesus kind of enters into that story and then looks out at everybody and he says this, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. It's harsh, right? And at first glance, here's how I'll tell you I read it. You could almost read this as like some resentful toddler, right, who invites a friend to a party and they're like, well, I don't want to go. And fine, you don't want to go, then I don't want you to go. Right, that's how a toddler walks. <laughs> that's how my toddlers walk. Maybe they're just weird. Right? But is, is Jesus kind of throwing a tantrum here? Fine. You don't want to come? Then you'll never get to taste my banquet. We were going to have chocolate cake. You won't get any. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. <laughs> I don't think Jesus is storming off like that in the party. I don't think he's doing that. But here's what I think he's doing. I think this is very, very important. I think Jesus is not being resentful. Jesus is showing responsibility. Jesus is saying, you know, the reason you don't get in it's not because you didn't get an invite. It's because you made an excuse. And God invites. God invites all of us. We see this in the beginning of the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1. God invites all of creation. He has displayed himself to all creatures, to all mankind, to every race and every culture. He's displayed himself. What we do is make excuses. We suppress the truth, Paul says in the book of Romans, in unrighteousness. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. We all get an invite. All of us do. And so we cannot shake our fist when we're outside the party saying, you didn't invite me. No, no, no. He invited. He invited. And those who respond came in. Those who made excuse stayed out by their own choice. So what Jesus is saying here, the reason you're outside the party, the reason you won't taste the banquet is because you decided not to. Because you put something, and it's hard to even say this, but you put something good in, in front of something great. You made excuses, financial excuses. Well, I just bought land, I just bought an ox, I just got married, family excuses, familial excuses. Friend excuses, social excuses, whatever. We've got, we got a ton of excuses, right? A ton of them. And most of them don't have to do with bad soap and poor circulation, but we make good excuses. We're really, really good at that. But they're not good enough. Especially when it comes to being a part of God's banquet. We so easily let God slip down the priority list and put other things in place. 
Which if we just sat for a moment and maybe let the busyness and the hurriness of life kind of move away from our minds, if we just sat for a moment and reflected and meditated for a moment, what is worth more of our time than eternity? What is worth more of our time than answering the questions, is God real and can I know him? There's nothing more important. There's nothing more urgent. There's nothing more at the top of the list. This isn't, let me get my career settled. Let me figure out who I'm going to marry. Let me get that 30-year mortgage at a good interest rate. Let me get my 401k, my 403b, and my all this other stuff kind of figured out. And then when I'm all figured out, then I'll figure it out. You know, one of the worst scenes to see is a pastor is the face of a gret on a dying man or woman. It's sobering. It's a sobering reality. We're on the precipice of entering into eternity and then they start to ask questions they should have been asking 30, 40, 50 years ago. That's the thing that'll give you goosebumps as a pastor. When all these good things were put in the way, but the most important thing was never even thought about never even talked about. Right, you see the same, I see the same thing, it's so, the regret, the regret even of parents as they've transitioned their kids into adulthood and they're successful and they're making good money, more money than they ever thought they would ever make as a kid, right? All these things are set up, man, I got them in a good school, they got a good career, they got all these good things, but they don't know how to walk with the Lord. And they don't know what it looks like. And I'm not saying a parent is responsible for the faith choice of the child. No, the child is his own responsibility. Got to do their own invitation. But there are times we look back and we re-examine and realize we gave a lot of priorities in front of God. Right? Well, we got them to t-ball and we got them to soccer and we got them to this and this and this and this. And they can do wrestling and they can you know, pursue academics and they can make a microchip when they're 13 years old. Praise God. Awesome. We all need computers. But was there ever a time where you sat with them and with the scriptures that you knew the greatest danger was inside of them, not outside of them? That as God says, their sinful heart is running them into ruin. They have a terminal disease and it's called sin. And it will do more than, than, than stop their heart, more than stop their brain. It will kill their soul. And that virus is insidious and in them. And they live in a world that wants to amplify the tentacles of that sinful heart deep into every recess of who they are. And their soul is at stake. As parents, right, do we realize that? That there is an enemy and it's not Republicans or Democrats, it's their heart inside of them. This thing will choke their soul out. But praise God he has come in Jesus Christ, died and rose again, and offers them life, eternal life, abundant life, not a life just filled with possessions or filled with status, but a radical life, abundant life, an eternal life. That's what's being offered to them. And yet we don't make time in our schedules, right? And we make excuses and they sound like good excuses. Man, work is crazy. This quarter was not good. There's gonna be layoffs. I gotta show my, I gotta show my worth. I gotta show my value. Work's just too crazy. I don't have time to open up the scriptures with my kids. I don't have time to teach them how to pray. I don't have time to talk about how we align our finances with the things that God wants. I don't have time for all that. I know, I know those sound like good excuses and I know that a schedule can be stressful. I totally get that. But are those excuses good enough? 
Are those good excuses good enough? I know that's a hard question. I know it's incredibly challenging. Are your good excuses good enough? Maybe you don't have kids, right? Maybe it's just your career, your pursuit right now. Okay, I hope you're successful. I hope you do really well. But I hope you don't gain the world and lose your soul. Because you can get hit the top of the ladder. You could be in Fortune 500 and be on heaven's bottom or hell's top, I guess. To gain the world and to lose your soul is a foolish exchange. And there is no excuse that's good enough to not respond to the call of God. And he's given all of us that invitation. So here's my question. What are you going to give him? A response? A yes? Or an excuse? As a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe you're starting to like re-examine some of your priorities as you enter into 2023, as you think about what, what, could, what could this year look like? I hope it's this and this and this. And if you're doing that, that's great. I love that exercise. I love to set goals. As you do that, my challenge to you this year is make God a priority. Eternity is worth your time. God is worth your time. And if you're looking for a way, and I'm not going to say the way, and I want you to hear that. If you're looking for a way, not the way, but a way, to breathe life into your spiritual walk with God, we are starting a journey. That's what we're calling it. It's a journey, a 10-week discipleship journey on January 22nd. That's when it kicks off. That's the week that it kicks off. It's a 10-week journey that we've done personally as a staff that I've benefited from. I would tell you, it, man, it was a wonderful experience to do with our staff. And I would say it, it put some st- spiritual habits in me that have been incredibly healthy and I think will continue to be incredibly healthy. And maybe that's what you're looking for. How can I follow Jesus? How can I really give a a, a jolt of life to my spiritual walk in 2023? Start right now. Now hear me, I said it's a way, it's not the way. Because this journey, it's, it's a journey. It's got some elevation gain to it. And so there's a cost to it. There's a commitment to it. So maybe it's not for everybody. Maybe it's not the season for you. But I would encourage you to prayerfully think about it. Because I do truly believe that this experience, this journey, if you take part in it, it will bring great growth to your spiritual walk. We did it as a staff. We had some pilot groups do it. They experienced great things January 22nd. You're going to see signups in the lobby. You can do it right after the service. I'm telling you, I think that is a great way for you to prioritize relationship with God, to to take time for eternity, to schedule, if you will, spiritual maturity in your life. Now, maybe that's not for you. Maybe it's not the season for you, and I don't want you to feel guilty that that, that you don't do this way, but hear me. Pick something. Pick something. Prioritize your relationship with God this morning. Maybe it's just going on our social media and just reading the Bible, reading through the New Testament this year. Maybe it's something, but prioritize your relationship with God in 2023. Now, maybe you're here, you're just trying church out, just curious about Jesus. You're just, you're exploring right now. Man, hear me. Don't get distracted. I'm so thankful that you're here. I am so thankful you're here. I came to church because I had questions and I was angry with God. I know the weirdest reason to go to church is because you're angry with God, but that's why I went and what was wonderful is I got to see people walk out their relationship with God. 
I got to see what walking with Jesus was like for months before I ever started to follow him. And this is actually the experience of Jesus' disciples. They walked with him before they believed in him. There is a sense you can test drive following Jesus. And I know that sounds weird, but it's true. And you don't have to believe to jump into what we're doing. Maybe that's where your questions lie. What does it look like to be a Christian? What does it look like to follow God? I would tell you, this 10-week journey is for you too. Now you're like, wow, Paul, 10 weeks. I don't know. I'm just here because I'm curious. Great. Jump in. Jump in. You don't have to believe to start. Do what the early followers of Jesus did. Walk with him. And I bet you'll find at the end of that journey, you believe in him. And maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. And that's okay. Because at least you gave him a shot. <laughs> at least you gave that opportunity of, hey, maybe this thing is real. And trust me, friends, it's too good not to look into. To at least explore. And again, maybe that journey is not for you. It's not the way, but it's a way. I think it's a great way. Wherever you're at, if you're curious, keep coming. Keep coming. If it's just Sunday morning, keep coming. If you want to go further, get into a small group. We've got 20-something small groups you could sign up for too. Study the Bible with people and answer life's most important question because eternity is worth your time. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. You're so good to us how you guide us. You're so good to us how you call us. You're so good to us. Father, it's incredible. It's so patient with us. Man, how many times did you call me? How many times did I hear about you, Jesus Christ? How many times did I hear about your love, God? How many times before I finally jumped in and said, okay, yeah, that's what I want to do. So many times you're so patient with us. You don't shut the banquet hall door quickly. You keep it open for a very, very, very long time. And I thank you that you're slow to anger. You're quick to love. You're a patient God. Holy Spirit, I pray. I pray that you're moving. I pray that you've called today. And Holy Spirit, what I'd help, I, I pray that you're doing in the minds of everybody, whether they're watching us online or they're in the room, is Father, I pray that you're weeding out all the excuses. Holy, Holy Spirit, I pray that you're just taking away all the excuses, that we see that no excuse is good enough. It may be good, it may be a good thing, but it can't get in the way of this great thing, which is a relationship with you, God. Holy Spirit, I pray you do your work. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just continue to draw us closer and closer to Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.